You see tonight it could go either way Hearts balanced on a razor blade We are designed to love and break Then to rinse and repeat it all again I get stuck when the world's too loud And things don't look up when you're going down I know your arms are reaching out from somewhere I'm not hearing anything, so... No, because it's, yeah. it's only playing on stream. But Wheels often steals the stream audio. <laughs> yeah, well, I have two... I have two video outs going, and I think... Yeah. Uh, sh the music should be gone now. So that's going to be a very weird beginning of this episode. Thank you for your service, Pew. As always. But... Yeah, so what were you saying about you weren't just playing Destiny 2, you did something else. Yes, uh, since last episode, I finished Pokemon Violet. Roll credits. Oh, that. yeah, yeah, we saw that. This has a very touching story ending, uh, which is Probably... not, not usual for the series, so enjoyed that yeah. a lot. Strongest, strongest story that I've gone through since Black and White. Oh, for sure. But not only that, the final boss encounter was uh, pretty neat. Um, yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. And kind of challenges you to... Like, unless you look it up beforehand, you're not going to have any idea what the weakness for any of these Pokemon are, so you're kind of going to have to figure it out on the fly, which I enjoyed mm. a lot. So. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah, and then well, after that fight, you can suddenly start catching the, the, the final yes. boss with you. So, yeah, and there's still lots of post-theme stuff I'm going to be messing around with in that, but it's not going to be... You don't uh, need a shotgun. Be, right, it's not going to be a <laughs> massive time sink anymore. Uh, hopefully, uh, honestly, Sunday, Sunday Night Shenanigans has been incredibly successful doing Pokemon. I think we may just stick with that for a while. I mean, I've got no problem with that. That's a lot of that's like my ideal way to play Pokemon. Yeah, just dicking around. <laughs> sure, we'll switch off to some other things. Uh, but yeah, it, it's been really great doing that on Sundays. Yeah, and uh, hopefully we can. Once Joe gets to the end game, maybe we can build up a group to do some of the high level raids. Five and six star raids. Yeah, yeah. that could be a lot of fun. Yeah, we managed to, we managed to get that five star raid. We pulled that one out. Yeah. Uh, after I after we restarted it because I fucked up and picked the wrong Pokemon. You fucked up. You <laughs> fucked up. You uh, fucked what was up. I was gonna say. Uh, I've also been playing uh, Cthulhu Saves Christmas, which if you're listening to the podcast download of this, you'll hear the music of that game playing over. Our early conversations. Which I <laughs> oh, that's for. what was happening. Yes. I assumed that it was music blasting from either Destiny or Hearthstone. No, I actually turned down <laughs> Destiny beforehand. Because I see Hearthstone happening in the corner here because you're a. No, that's not Hearthstone. That's Cthulhu. Uh, oh, it just looks. I see this thing in the corner and it's. I saw like oblong circles and I was like, is this just Hearthstone cards? No. Yeah. <laughs> But no, I guess that's the cool. Huh? 
But yeah. Uh, I assume you've been having fun with that, though. Yeah, no, it's it's a blast. It's exactly what I expected in the best possible way. Like it's just I mean, sometimes what you expect is what you want. So. Yeah. No, it's Zboid. It's it's all the humor you, you probably people probably enjoyed in Cthulhu Saves the World in a Christmas themed game. <laughs> uh, somewhat more, uh, yeah. Somewhat more refined mechanics because there's a few games. Down yes, line, I yes. I was, I was just going to say, I, I really like how they've kind of refined the mechanics from uh, Cosmic Star Heroine a bit, nice. and, and put in some interesting elements. Um, and if for anyone that hasn't played it, Cosmic Star Heroine, uh, what they've done is kind of done a saga-ish thing where there's you don't have to heal or anything outside of battles so battles are like self-contained mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know you can use your abilities and then there's like an ability you can use that will refresh basically you kind of skip a turn and then it, you can refresh your abilities so there's a lot of strategy behind that and it's a little bit more random and silly in this one but still Pretty impressive for uh, a little game, and uh, enjoying it quite a lot. It's it's definitely good, and um, kind of does like a silly version of Persona stuff. Because in between the dungeons, you can pick like activities to do, and there'll be funny little story sequences. But you can't do them all, so uh, it's like it could be a game to just replay every Christmas. Or you know, just pull out in the middle of summer if you're bored. I guess. Save Christmas in July. Yes, it's very good. The writing is very good, which you know the writing from Z Boyd has improved since since their uh, Breath of Death Seven beginnings. It's it's very good. Uh, music's fun, which you've probably heard already. <laughs> uh, so yeah, highly, highly recommend. It's not very expensive, will not consume a large amount of your time, and it's available on literally everything. So yeah, definitely recommend that. And uh, starting to dig into Crisis Core now. Reuniting with Crisis Core, yes, if you will. reuniting with Crisis Core. It's good. Yeah, it's very good. It's a very good Switch port, too. I yep. was worried that was going to be the the butt end of that equation but no it's totally absolutely fine seems like they essentially built it for switch and upported it elsewhere yeah that would <laughs> that would make sense yeah because you know every every other version you know it'll run a little better it'll uh it'll look a little better but you know nothing looks completely out of step with anything else that i've seen so it would not surprise me if that's essentially what they did yeah Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a uh, good game. Mm. Best, uh, best way to play Crisis Core at this stage by uh, Country Sure. Also, the most convenient because uh, I don't think original Crisis Core was ever even available digitally. Sure wasn't. Had to track down a UMD and pop it into a PSP that was not a PSP go. <laughs> What a machine! What an object! Yeah, I'm still have still been trying to finish Chills in the Sky, and my 
opinion of the PSP has gone down while trying to do that, to be honest. Dress to go down. Yeah. There's a there's a joke for an audience of only the only the most uh, broken wrestling fans. Sorry. Uh, continue. <laughs> uh, no, that was it. Hmm. So while well, you've been doing that, I decide I got like a bee in my bonnet about playing uh, Xenoblade. So I picked up my save from Xenoblade Definitive. So I played the first 20 hours of Xenoblade like five times. Just repeatedly. And like this time, I, I almost started again. I was like, I need to do it from the start again. And I was like, by the time I am done, first 20 hours, I will get distracted again if I just do them again because I've seen them so many times. I've seen them on the Wii. I've seen them on the 3DS. I've seen them on the Switch. Don't need to see them again. Just went back and double-checked like a story synopsis to remind myself of the finer details of what I had uh, what I had already done several times, uh, and just continued from there as like a normal sane human being would do. Uh, and yeah, I'm having I'm having a good time. Uh, there's it, it, it's a very curiously designed game that like it's it's not really curiously designed now that it's a franchise there's several different there's four games that are essentially building on the that are using the same skeleton but it, it's a very curiously designed game uh i think that uh it it's you know it's art direction environmental design are its strongest assets by by a country mile which is not to say that any other part of it doesn't work it's just like those are those are extraordinarily strong uh, and especially contemplating it as a Wii release in 2010, like that was a a really wild set of choices being made, like to to make that game. Uh, and it was it was very much a monolith trying to sort of take in ideas from a fairly wide variety of sources. It feels like. Uh, there's definitely a lot of MMO DNA in it, uh, even if it ultimately uses them to differing effects. It's definitely using ideas from MMOs to do different things, uh, especially when it comes to the like combat and the base collection side quests. Uh, there's a lot of... Uh, it's essentially impossible for... Uh, Tetsuya Takahashi at this stage to make a game that does not on some fundamental level resemble Xenogears in some particulars. <laughs> I'm not sure how much it's something that he realizes partway through a project and references, or if he just sets out at the beginning of projects to do that at this stage. But uh, There's a lot of just like visual concepts and similarities. It's like, yep, still Xenogears after all these years. <laughs> Uh, like, you know, it's impossible to ignore the fact that the, the Nopon are basically choo-choo from Xenogears. Like, the, just basically the exact same design. A little fancier, but it's like if there was just an entire species of choo-choo. I don't think you ever see another choo-choo in Xenogears. I don't recall if that's ever gone into as to why, but I don't think you ever see a second one. 
But now there's an entire society. No pawn, no pawn are inescapable. Uh, but it's okay because now the uh, no pawn in your party is a forty-year-old dad of eleven. So hero that's dead. uh, yep, hero pawn. Hero for all dads. He, he is this year's hero pawn. He is this year's prophesized hero pawn. Uh, I appreciate the concept of someone being essentially press ganged into being the legendary hero on the back of being in a mountain of debt. Uh, I feel like you could just turn an entire game out of that plot, actually. If I'm being right with you. But... Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I think that uh, if I had to sort of uh, give, critique it as as of where I am now, which I think is maybe a third to halfway through, I'm in like chapter 8 of what I believe is about 17. Uh... The, the, the biggest critique I would have is just that uh, it, it's, a, it's a critique you can level at a lot of really long JRPGs. Just that a lot of times you run into this situation of uh, especially ones with all, as much side content as this one has where you run into this thing of there's a lot of content here that isn't bad but there is a benefit to cutting to your strongest material. And there maybe would have there been... There was a need to edit down? I'm not even sure if you need to per se edit it down, although, I mean, honestly, it probably wouldn't hurt to cut out some of the collection side quests that are mostly an excuse to have you kill the same monster about three or four times. Uh, Generally, it is a good idea to just get rid of those entirely. It's one of those things, I think that by three, as I recall reading, three really cut the side quests to be more... Uh, relevant uh, and this was this was in, in some sense it was it existed to reward they had made these giant environments and wandering the giant environments is one of the strongest things about the game you'll see like these really cool looking areas basically everywhere you go the the entire concept of the world built on the backs of two dead giants is an incredible like visual concept and they really wanted you to explore that, and I, I fully understand that. But uh, the excuses they sometimes had to make you track back and forth across it were not always super strong. Uh, and so you'll sometimes... Like, you, you really do need to... I, I think the, the other issue is that there are side quests that are more interesting, do have more to them, but they're important. They're very hard to sort out until you just accept it. it. Like, it can be hard to tell when new side quests pop up. Like, you just have to sort of come back to the major areas that people live in and check them every so often. Uh, and it, it just kind of... Uh, it, it hurts the signal-to-noise ratio on the game. Uh, and none of this is, like, a, a huge problem. It's just one of those things that's, like... You know, uh, if you have issues of compulsion to do every side quest, you either need to not play this game or find a way to break yourself of that because it will just make the game miserable. Uh, what, what I generally end up doing is I take a quick look around uh, around the major areas when it seems like chapter is winding down. And then if there's anything 
that has a clock next to it, which the game is polite enough to let you know, like, if there's a clock next to it, that means this quest will eventually automatically fail as part of the story if you don't get it done. Uh, if there's anything like that, I'll go and uh, make sure to do that. And then if I still feel like it afterwards, I'll go in and clear out some of the quests that I uh, that don't have clocks next to them until I'm just about sick of that and then move on with the story and then I won't have to I won't have to get sick of that. So that's that's been a good way of pacing things out, but it you do run into the issue that comes with every game that you need to encourage players to play it in a way that's fun. <laughs> And uh, the the way that by by putting all of that at the player's fingertips, you kind of encourage certain kinds of compulsive players to play it in ways that are antithetical to it being fun. So you got to be real careful with it, I guess. But I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying my time. Uh, my my other thing, I was rambling about this two wheels mm. before we started was that uh, I, I'm surprised how much characterization seems to be uh, locked inside the heart-to-heart -heart conversations, which, if you haven't played Xenoblade, the heart-to-hearts are basically, you'll find certain areas in the game where it'll just give you, like, a message that, like, these two characters can talk here. Uh, like, if they are at X relationship level. And then, you know, if you, if you want to see that uh, you just have to get them to that, their relationship levels will go up essentially just by being in the same party at the same time. That's just sort of how that happens. Uh, but uh, if you aren't getting a bunch of the heart-to-hearts, the characters can feel a little thinly sketched in a lot of places. Uh, the, the thing I was thinking of was when I was, when I was picking up uh, Resident Hero Pawn Ricky... Uh, he and Ryan are immediately thrown at uh, Ryan, the best friend character for sure. They're immediately thrown into the, like this dynamic of uh, they're both kind of the comedy characters. And so it's like Ryan is this, you know, uh, big lunk who, you know, he doesn't, uh, he, he doesn't re uh, super respect Ricky. None of the party respects Ricky, obviously, but uh, because he is the mascot character. But he's the he is the best friend character, so he has the most axe to grind with the uh, with the mascot character, as is so often the case. Uh, and then you know you do the the next story quest, and at the end of the next story quest, he's like developed a grudging respect for Ricky and like they're they're pals now. And like that feels like it needed a little more space to cook. It feels like a sort of thinly sketched. Uh, it's one of those situations where. A, the game is being archetypal and the writer knows it's being archetypal, so it's kind of relying on you knowing the archetype and filling it in yourself in certain cases. Uh, and that's that can always feel a little disarming uh, when it tries to do... Yeah, that's lazy writing. Yeah. And, like, not all of it is like that. Like, obviously that's a relatively simplistic dynamic that is not relevant to the emotional core of the story, but is one of those situations where it's like, this... Uh, it doesn't necessarily feel earned to treat that like there was an arc that happened in this chapter. Honestly, I think maybe Chapter 7 just has too much going on in it. Uh, because it introduces uh, Ricky, the comic relief character, and it also introduces, I think her name's Melia, she's like this uh, 
she's a she's a space elf. That's that's all that matters. She's a space elf. <laughs> uh, but uh, both of them get introduced at the same time, and they are at kind of polar ends of the game's dramatic uh, capacity, where uh, Malia is introduced uh, with uh, an entire royal guard of hers getting killed by a space bird. And uh, so she's she's a little more reticent and like develop like her primary interactions are with Shulk and that's clearly like the beginning of an arc between the two. Uh, and you have uh, this this second character that's introduced halfway through the chapter who has like a a little arc that is happening between him and uh, Ryan that. You know, one of these is clearly a much more important dynamic and it's getting a bit more care put into it, but it makes it more jarring to see this, like, much smaller, much more gestured, much more vaguely sketched dynamic that's happening in this chapter. So maybe putting those so close... I, I get why they put them so close together, because I think at this point, it's so... The game is so far along at this point that they kind of have to, because it's like, it's chapter 7 of, like, 17... But bearing in mind, I don't think any of these chapters is shorter than like five hours. Uh, so they were, I think at this point, they, there was like internally when someone was looking at the script, it was like, uh, or the event planning, it was like, we need to just get the party members together at this stage. Like there can be a light party member and there is. Uh, like it's not even a spoiler. Like there's just one more space on the party member screen. Mm. But... Mm. Uh, the, there's there can be late party members, but uh, you know, like the the core group needs to just be together by this point because it's just been it's it's just been long enough that that they if they don't get them together soon, some of them are just not going to get much screen time. Even though the game is a bazillion hours long, the eventually like the core plot is going to. Because uh, that's the other thing is that the core plot is still really, uh, is still very vague at this point. Like the protagonist's colony was attacked at the beginning of the game. Tra childhood friend was killed, and since then every chapter has been just you trying to find the one that did it so you can kill them. And obviously that's not the entire plot. Obviously that's going to get. Obviously, that's going to get subsumed in a much more complicated plot. I've already seen hints at what that plot is, but it's one. It's not that? that. It's not that complicated, but it is. There is giant swerve. Yes. Yeah, like there, there has to be because, like, you can't, you cannot hang a plot that's probably bare minimum eighty hours on just you chase after a big a guy called Metal Face and try to stab him to death. <laughs> Like that's that's it doesn't have to be complicated, but it does have to be more than that. <laughs> and I'm I'm certain that it will be because I don't think that anyone involved in this game has ever made a plot that could be called simple. Uh, <laughs> but you know, even if this is like relative to their uh, relative to them, an exercise in restraint. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like it's one of those things where. The, the scope and grandeur is so much the point of the game. And then, uh, you know, but that can come at... There, there's a lot of 
plates that it has to keep spinning. And I don't think it's ever let any of them fall thus far, but it is one of those situations where it's like I can see some of them starting to teeter and I expect them to start spinning them again soon. But, yeah. Uh, my, my other issue being, of course, that, like, while I think this is about the best execution of this kind of combat we manage, the, the MMO, the pseudo-MMO style, like, uh, cooldown-based combat is just not my personal preference. But... Uh, yeah, I like the combat the changes they made in the the, the uh, subsequent games a lot. Yeah, it's it's because like the that's part of the problem I think with this one the, thus far is that there isn't actually that much to the combat, which was probably at least in part because of the weak controllers. Yeah, but uh, there's just not a lot there. Uh, you you do thing uh, you auto attack and you try to jockey your position. Uh, to allow you to use your cooldown moves at their max maximum efficacy, and you try to set it up so that they're used in the right sequence, because you have, like, the topple and daze system. But otherwise, there's not a lot going on there. You're So, like, one of the things I'm often doing uh, if I'm fighting something, that there's a lot, there are things that have a lot of HP, but which are not mechanically complex to fight. So it's been a very good thing to occasionally just have something to watch in the background while I'm letting certain fights play out while half paying attention, which is pretty common for RPGs. I'm not going to pretend that that's like something unique as an play, but it is one of those things where it's like I'm, I'm noticing that like the combat by itself would not fully hold my attention. But, and I've said a lot of things that sound a lot more damning than they are. I'm, I'm very much enjoying the game, but it is one of those things where it's like it's it's weird to try to examine its design yeah. uh, because it's a design from a very specific time uh, in the late aughts when the prevailing uh, opinion, especially in the U.S., was that the traditional JRPG was dead or dying, uh, and that things that there needed to be a serious shakeup uh, to maintain consumer interest. In. That always seemed to be something that the would-be pundits would like to say. Still was, along it, the lines of, oh, Nintendo is finally going to be collapsing or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there was, there, there was a degree of contraction to the JRPG market. It never completely died, but it definitely contracted for a minute there. Uh, but I think that was as much... Yeah, but a lot of that wasn't really due to the genre itself. A lot of it was due to, like... DS's issues with piracy and um, just general costs of making stuff. Yeah, and also I would say that uh, it, it was it was a case where it was an issue. Not that the games were bad, but many of them had uh, winnowed out ideas that were deemed not to work. They had cut themselves down and cut themselves down into being what were perceived to be the the genre's strengths and the that's they weren't per se wrong but when you cut 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 eventually you reach bone mm -hmm. and yeah. so you get something like ff13 which i think is a good game but it is a game where they have cut until they reach bone uh there's there's very it little was a, it was a great basis for a fantasy novel trilogy mm -hmm. and like it has really strong combat and has good art direction but there's nothing. There's not enough sinew and fat and whatever muscle to keep that to hold it all together. 
in a way that will like keep a lot of the audience going. You do need that sense of the world is something that I care about. Like to contextualize a video game story, one of the things that's good about it is that you're wandering around the thing that you're theoretically trying to save. Uh, that that gives it a lot of texture. And when you winnow that down and winnow that down and winnow that down, you eventually reach a point where it's just like, this is a bunch of disconnected stuff. And like, all of that disconnected stuff can be of quality, but it will eventually, like, it, it hurts the player's capacity to care. Even, it, it's one of those things like, uh, I think about, uh, in terms of pacing and design, it's, it's one of those things like, it's fairly obvious, but like, you know, you'll you'll run into situations where it's like, oh, why aren't you always just doing like like there will be these parts of games where it's like everyone's favorite part is X, Y, and Z. Like, the, this is everyone's favorite mission. Why aren't more of them like this? And it's like because that mission would not be special if it was not uh, built up to and as a cap. It needs connective tissue around it to make it as special as it is. And like that's you know. The, the, as a theory of pacing, as a theory of uh, player buy-in, all of that is very important. And one of the things that I think that all of this, you know, while, while there is a lot of cruft in Xenoblade, one of the things I think that uh, all of it builds to is that there is a lot, there is a sense of pacing, even if it's not perfect, there is a sense of a world, there is a sense of connection. And, like, that, that you know, I, I appreciate that that was monolith trying to sort of reorient around uh making a game that while still very definitely a jrpg was trying to reincorporate things that like people maybe necessarily thought that jrpgs weren't good at it because that was the only way like otherwise the genre was pushing into weird evolutionary dead ends uh, yeah and that kind of describes japanese technology trends in general mm-hmm they push themselves into a ton of weird ends. Half the industry dies off, and then suddenly they find something else new, and they go crazy in a different direction. Yeah, pretty much. That is pretty much the history of Japanese video games. Yep. Yeah, it's it's just weird because it was it was happening to the parts we care the most about. But yeah. Uh... Yeah, I I remember being over here and saying like, yeah, there's nothing to really worry about. They just need to get their act together again. Yeah, and they did. Um, I mean, I think JRPGs are mu much healthier than they once were in the like oh, PS3 yeah. and early PS4 era. Yeah. Uh, also, a lot of that is very specific to the PlayStation consoles. Yeah, they, they were seen which as why, Which is why I mentioned production costs as being a major limiting factor there. Mm -hmm. Like you know, at the time that they produced it, it would have been impossible to produce a game like Xenoblade on an HD scale. Monolith was not a large enough company to do it at the time. Yeah, they really took That's advantage. Why, of I mean, the reason I mentioned the DS um, is just because the piracy issues on that is what caused Nintendo to scale back a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. at the time too. They, uh, yeah, they really. Yeah, like it's one of those things. Whenever I think about it, it's like. Yes, Nintendo can be very zealous about its anti-piracy measures, but like the DS, the the mid-budget DS game withered on the vine because of how bad piracy got on that platform. It was way yeah. too easy. Yep. You buy this and cheap the, card, and you're working off. Here you go. 
Yep. Which is, again, why we saw such a massive decrease in third-party development between the DS and the 3DS, because a lot of those companies no longer existed. A lot of them no longer existed, but it also made a lot of companies gun-shy. Like, part of the reason that companies will make this big deal, like, these the console manufacturers will make a big deal about keeping out piracy is that it's a tacit promise to third parties, your games are safe to be sold here. They aren't going, you aren't going to have yep. your market share eaten out from under. Then I will notice that the indie market has exploded in Japan again, filling mm -hmm. in the niche that was killed off in the DS generation. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, Nintendo is currently doing, t hey, here's two new indie games every day for uh, up to Christmas in, in North America. Yep. Yeah, they had a they had a lull in the 3DS generation for this part of the ecosystem. Again, just probably because of how stunted it got because of the R4 debacle. Yeah, they also it's, it's they also back through, and swing oh, back yeah. for a while. The the other thing is that they they went to a great deal more trouble to uh, court small scale developers. Like just in general, like if you look at early reports on the Switch, especially. Uh, the sheer cheapness of development kits uh, mm -hmm. really, really decreased the barrier to entry. Like it was not, it was not difficult to get in contact with Nintendo as a small-scale studio to get a development kit, and it was not prohibitively expensive to buy. It wasn't something you were going to buy on a whim, but it wasn't going to cost you more than like a thousand dollars. If you are serious about which actually is, making a game, that's chump change. Which is how they encouraged people to do stuff for DS too, wasn't it? I believe it was designed like because when they I, I don't know as much about the DS because like the a lot of the details were a little more uh, mostly in industry and Japanese publications. But I recall that when they were uh, trotting out the DS, the the big thing that they were talking about was we want to make this thing easy to develop for. We want to make this uh, something that anyone can make things for. And I mean, a lot of games on DS. You got a lot of games. A lot of games you wouldn't see elsewhere. Oh, isn't that the truth? And I've reviewed a lot of them. <laughs> Ooh, some of those games. But yeah. Yeah, we've, uh, we've gone over many, many times how just simple development costs and things like that will um, or, um, influence the development culture for different consoles. But Yeah, I was actually... <laughs> I was thinking about that yesterday because I was playing a weird old uh, Japan-only PS1 game that was, like, straddling the line between art game and shitpost. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was called Hakayo King of Crusher. And it was a game about uh, being a salaryman who gets... who, in the stress of seeing his... Uh, first child being born uh, is like stung by some sort of evil mutant bee and turned slowly level by level into a kaiju. Uh, it's extremely, <laughs> it's extremely strange, and it would only it would only ever happen on a platform with extremely low development costs, where no one has to worry too much about losing their shirts over making something bizarre. Uh, that's the DS era, yes. <laughs> yep, and this was uh, it, this was the game I was playing was a PS One game, but like the PS One had kind of the same boom, where it's just like, oh yeah, this is cheap. There's a bazillion companies putting money into this. 
and they're all producing truly bizarre video games. PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 both just had really active, low entry, um, low barrier um, marketplaces there. Yeah. Which is why the PS3 uh, had such issues when it made everything the other way. Everything was expensive, even more so than just being HD. It was like, this is HD and complicated to program for. A, a system designed to kill developers. What's that? Difficult to develop for and expensive. Yeah, like well, being difficult to develop for inherently means expensive. But you know, like the two, the two put together, like it was just like it was a system designed to grind up and kill smaller scale developers. Uh, but yeah, I, so yeah, uh, if you want to see, uh, if you ever want to play a weird game that is sort of. The best way I could describe how it feels to control is uh, this is an extremely specific metaphor, but if you know what these games are, you'll be fine. Uh, imagine if Rampage felt like Quack. Uh, like, your character has... The controls aren't complicated like Quack, they're awkward like Quack. Uh, your character, like... Your character, even when he is just a dude running through his office and breaking file cabinets, is he, he control? He has the turn radius of an aircraft carrier. <laughs> it's extraordinarily strange to control and play. Also, this game ends with you fighting the Statue of Liberty while it shoots lightning bolts at you and lectures really you. Is. And lectures you on the limits of individual freedom. <laughs> it's a weird game, but it's it's beautiful in its way. No 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 other no other generation could have spawned it. No other, uh, it, no one would ever spend this kind of money again. It's mm -hmm. uh it's it's interesting. It's it's very weird. It's very interesting. And you, you build yourself up from being just a human dude punching TVs and desks and office chairs to being a giant uh, winged kaiju uh, destroying New York City. It's, uh, it's, it's, unfor it's an unforgettable two hours, I'll put it that way. Sounds pretty great. <laughs> But yeah, uh, that that was the other thing I've been playing. So, Let's see, uh, let me just peek in and see if we got any questions. Uh, looks like nothing for us. Just people talking about what listening to RPG casts there. Oh. Uh, stay tuned for next time that I pop in battle PS1 games and give a long lecture about the Net Yaroze. Who does not love the Net Yaroze? I don't know what Wait, that is, but I'll take your word for it. The, the Net Yaroze was the hobbyist development kit for the PS1. It looked like a black PS1. You could make games that ran on it, but they had to fit inside the PS1's two megabytes of memory. Oh, that sounds terrible. 
there's there's a lot of very weird things for it. Uh, there is, I think, one of the more famous ones is it's a uh, FF seven parody where the entire thing's about toilet paper, and it's just like it's just huh. a couple screens because it all has to fit inside the PS one's memory. But it's like, oh, there's like they they made, they took some cloud models and uh, and some Shinra soldier models, and they've just uh, it's it's very strange. Uh, but the the Yadoze was there. There was not really a good way to disseminate Yadoze games uh, because uh, a net connection. Yeah, you, it was basically like it wasn't even just that you needed a net connection, although that was true. It was that like basically the only places you could put them was like an official Yadoze developers forum. Forum. So it was basically just. The only other people playing your Yadose game was where other people who had bought that Yadose. Uh, oh, um, it which, was like an infrastructure and distribution issue. Yeah, but someone somewhere got hold of every extant Yadose game that anyone was ever able to scrape and preserve. And so Ow. there is a, uh, a custom-made... Uh, ISO floating around on like archive.org that it just has a front end to access like a hundred or so, uh, like one or two hundred Yados of games. And someday I'm just going to dig into those and find whatever oh, stupid boy. nonsense I can find. Mm. I should I should get wheels on for that when I do that. I'm sure that he will. I'm sure we'll both have a very confused. He'll laugh beautiful. at you a lot. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I did find that we do have a question from Kroll. Woo! Uh, this is mm -hmm. left under episode 286. It's left since our last episode, so we don't have to feel too bad. Uh, with Star Ocean, Suikoden, Tactics, Ogre, and Front Mission all resurfacing surfacing in some form or other, what long dormant RP or IP would you like to see result in uh, see return in 2023? Would you prefer new entries, remakes, or remasters? Well, I mean, we can all, we can start with the things that we know are going to be coming eventually. Like, I know we know that there's a new Saga game in the works. We know that mm -hmm. iGames is currently trying to think of something to do with the Metal Max IP. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, our, all of our usual answers are definitely actually in the works anyway. So let's see what else we can think of. Mm hmm. I, I have like five joke answers. Hmm. So if you need uh, if you need time to think of something, sure, give uh, us a joke answer. Night and baby. <laughs> no, what? Sure, why not? Yes, I was just thinking. Now's the time. Like, um, I was looking up strategies on how to beat Darth Burger Boss, and yeah. one of the suggestions was to turn the difficulty up to the um the one that does triple damage for everything. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, okay, that's actually how I beat the final boss in Night and Baby. <laughs> it's the final boss in Night not aware that is... was released here as that was released in English as Guardians Crusade. I like the Japanese title much better. Same. I've reviewed it for the site too. Uh, but yeah, mm, the final boss remember. of that game, it's a you, you try to do as much damage as you, you can to it before it lets loose a massive super attack that will kill you. Mm. Oh, um, your little um. So and as part of the combat, you're supposed to be putting out these little doll guys that can. Yeah, the living toys. Or... And one of them has the ability of 
doubling all damage dealt on the field. Sides. Mm -hmm. Which you think sounds awful to do until you realize in the final boss battle that... Not doing anything but charging. (laughs) I mean, the final boss, um, doubling his damage output is not going to make you any more dead than you already are when he hits you. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, that's actually about the only way you can um, reasonably do enough damage to kill it before it can kill Mm -hmm. you. But yes, Night and Baby, that'd be fun. Yeah, I, I think you could do something interesting with that IP. But, let's see. Wales, you got anything? What was the question again? <laughs> Sorry. Old IP that what? you would like to see resurrected. Oh, um, yeah. No, the dormant IP. Dormant IP. I mean, uh, about like two weeks ago, I would have said... Uh, Armored Core, but that's already happening. <laughs> um, mm. oh, that's a tough question. Um, uh, I'd like to see... I, listen, I know a second remake of Tactics Ogre just came out but i would like to see a return of ogre battle because i would like to see like what a modernized version of that sort of game to make looks like an attempt to make I, I an like ogre, to battle, ogre battle but like normal on a, play. i'd like to see ogre battle 64 on something i can actually play again sure i, I, I played that on my fun. roommate's um nintendo 64 back in college and 20 years i'd like to play it again I wouldn't no, even I be find surprised. find a copy pretty it. easily over here, but then I'd have to actually buy a Nintendo 64 to play it on. Yeah, I wouldn't even be surprised to see that show up on the Nintendo Switch expansion pack, just because it showed up on Wii and Wii U. Yeah. Really good. I think, I yeah, think eventually... Like the, I agree, something like the strategy version of Ogre Battle would be interesting to see again. Yeah. Hmm. Like, there aren't a lot of... Um, like we've got we there's plenty of like Final Fantasy Tactics ish games in existence, but there's not right. a lot of things that are like Ogre Battle, and I think there's a lot of ways I mean, you can expand on bring that. back Lord Monarch. I, like you could have I, battles I know I've not be automatic these, or and actually. I think I don't know. I mentioned these two before and pre- very previously, but I've played exactly two PlayStation games that had very similar combat to Ogre Battle. Mm-hmm. One of them was a hero management game where you're an angel guiding like five different heroes around the continent map. Yeah, I remember you <laughs> mentioning that one. The other one was the mountaineering RPG. Oh, yeah. Was... My brain was like, it's either the mountaineering one or the mermaid one. <laughs> yeah, the mountaineering RPG. That was hilarious. Um, but yeah, so I would like to see a game with that kind of gameplay with an actual plot. Mm-hmm. Which is more than the mountaineering one had. The character had just had zero plot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but something that oh, what's an old IP that would be? I'm, I'm still oh, I, I would like to see somebody actually actually make a finished version of Stargazer. Uh, I'm surprised that that's not like uh, you know you you there's get a fan, and, like... there's a fan made game. That yeah. is everything about Stargazer fixed. I'd like to see an official one. 
Yeah, I'm surprised that that doesn't happen too often. Just because, like, some of the some of the other like infamous like weird kind of battle games like Spelunker will just get remade eternally. Like, there's never been a period where you could not purchase some form of Spelunker since like the PS2. Uh, yeah, um, no one, no and it's not even a case of not even a case of the company that owns the IP isn't willing to do anything with it because hey, they put that thing on the Switch store. It to Switch. Absolutely. And I semi-reviewed it for April Fool's Day a couple years ago. Good work. <laughs> the starting off with yeah, I had some money left over in my account, and I decided to buy something. And why the hell did I decide to buy this game? <laughs> so being what that, a- hey, sometimes you just like to sit back and watch the pretty. Is coming from the gar- the dumpster fire. Yeah. It's, uh, sometimes you just need to take in the fumes of that. Yep. Uh. Pretty colors. Um, okay, something more serious. I mean, there's a humongous list of games for the PlayStation that I would just like to see brought back at some point or another. Um, Mark of the Mermaid. You're talking about the mermaid game. Yeah. So, I mean, that one was more Lovecraft than Mermaid, but yeah. There, there's... there's... Both. Both things are in there. <laughs> yep. Um, what else? Um, like, Star uh... Tropics. Oh, that's a good oh, one. Yeah. I would like uh, the a, a collection of translated Tengai Machio games. That'd be cool. Like, there are two fan translations that exist. They are both of Kind of, kind of main games, kind of not. Well, one of them is definitely not. Uh, Oriental Blue is. Uh, that was a side game. Yeah, that's very much a side game. Tengai Machio Zero. There's a debate to be had about whether that's a main game or a side game. But uh, but yeah, uh, I, I'd like to see that because like. Tengai Makio uh, Jiraiya and Manjimaru and uh, I forget what the spinoff of Manjimaru with the uh, Kabuki. Um, that one's ca- that's um, Kabuki Food and Yeah, we all bought a copy that's... of that at some point. Uh... Yeah, where the, the uh, comic relief character from Manjimaru goes on a world tour to rescue all the pretty girls that have been kidnapped. Yeah, and... like... Like, I've only heard of this one from Jooms, but it's like something like uh, uh, there was one boss where the the battle theme was very obviously London Bridge is falling down. <laughs> yeah, like like Manchimaru was a huge game. Like it was it was the best selling uh, PC Engine game, uh, I believe, of all of them. And you know the PC Engine was not was a not it was not unsuccessful in Japan. Uh, you know. They, Released um, Jiraiya, Manjimaru, and Fuden on a PSP collection years ago. Yeah, and they also did Fourth Apocalypse on PSP. Fourth uh, Apocalypse in several games, but yeah. Yeah, and then... Yeah, oh, I'd love to see Fourth Apocalypse done um, done with English. Actual, yes, uh, I, I desperately A well-localized English translation, because that would be hilarious. That 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 game, I think that in the same way that Americans get a huge kick out of Metal Wolf Chaos, I think they would get a huge kick out of Fourth Apocalypse. Uh, but yeah, I, I would love to see just just the Tengai Machio games in like the main RPGs in general. Uh, I'm given to understand that Tengai Machio Three Namida was generally considered a huge disappointment, uh, but you know whatever. 
it would be nice to have for completeness' sake. But really, I really the ones I want are Fourth Apocalypse, uh, Manjimaru, and Kabuki Food. Then, like the the ones that like are really where the series legacy was planted. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah, like there's there's a good fan translation of Zero now. By all accounts, Oriental Blue's translation is good. I've never played Oriental Blue. I it it looks like it like because you know a lot of the appeal was being wacky and Oriental Blue does not look wacky. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I I feel like it's it's extremely weird because like the last time there was a push to bring that series back was the late PS uh, to early uh, early 360 era, and I describe it that way because that's when. PSP versions happen. That's when there's a DS version of Machimata we didn't get. There is Namida on PS2 comes out around that time. There's a remake of the first one, a Japan exclusive Xbox 360 game. Uh, like they they like in those mid ops years, there was a real push to like let's see if we can make Tengai Machio a thing again. And it just through a combination of people being disappointed by Namida, which was a game that had been promised for 10 years and finally happened, and people were like, well, I waited for 10 years and this was it? It's like, yeah. Probably it was a video game. Uh, <laughs> uh, you have that, uh, like, they, they really made a push, uh, but, and, you know, putting the remake of the original on the Xbox 360 only in Japan, not a, not a winning combination uh, uh, for actually selling a video game. Uh, but yeah, like, you know, it's, it's a series with a tremendous legacy. Uh, it, it helped put Red Entertainment on the map prior to Sakura Wars. You know what? Uh, a collection of the, like, first four Sakura Wars games also, uh, would not go on this. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it, what, what I would inevitably interest, be interested in is games that are, that we didn't get, but, you know, like, like the old games we got, I'm usually satisfied. We got those, I can play them, <laughs> but I want to play the ones that are like, clearly have outsized influence in Japan that we never got. That's the, that's the stuff I, I, I personally care. Also, just re-release Panzer Dragoon Saga. You're doing yes, one of two. Do Saga. I mean, Saga's there. a little harder to do than one and two. You're making a lot fair. of Panzer Dragoon-related assets at the same time. True. <laughs> Listen, I'm not... I'm, I want it to happen. I'm just saying I can understand if... if it doesn't. Do it. Just get, just get the two one out already. Get that done. Forever Entertainment has taken on so many projects in that style. Because they're doing that, they're doing Front Mission 2 and 3 still, because Front Mission 1 just came out, now they're doing 2 and 3. Which, for that one, it's probably just because they, they'll be able to reuse assets with reckless abandon, uh, at least through 3. But, uh, they're also doing a House of the Dead one as well, I believe. Hmm. Like, they have a lot of contracts. Currently, so I'm curious where Panther Dragoon's Eye currently is. Uh, let me see if they've actually given any sort of updates. 
on Panther Dragoon's Vi. Let's check their Panther Dragoon Twitter. Okay. Bunch of stuff. Marked down. Blah. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't picked up that Panzer Dragoon remake, they, they put it on sale fairly re regularly. Uh, yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's available on Switch, PC, and probably other consoles by now. I never checked if it was other consoles. But yeah, I haven't heard much about the Zvi remake. I assume that that hasn't been cancelled. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, ho hopefully we can. They have so many projects that you know, throw 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 us all a bone and give us Panther Dragon Saga. Yes, please. Uh, do we have any other things we want to? Um, to bring up. Uh, do we have any other things we want to see come back? Oh, Shining Two Force? Too many to list. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, Shining Force, though, I think you could... Like, not Shining, Shining Force. Yes. Not Neo or Exa. Those things don't count. No, they do not. An um, actual, honest-to-God, Shining Force strategy RPG. Let's see, something other random. You know, what's the most random thing I can think of? Sigma Harmonics. <laughs> Yeah, sure, why, why the not? heck not? Uh, why not? Uh, I don't want this IP to come back, but I want something... Uh, I want one day play uh, something as nonsensical uh, in a modern context as Good Ball Spring. That is not an RPG, but it sure is, sure is really fucking stupid. Uh, I, <laughs> if you've, I, I've ranted about it before, but if you've not seen it, please go look up a video of Cabal Screen. And when you do, yes, that is a flying sneaker that you're playing. <sighs> but yeah. Um. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I I want my games stupid. That's that's an ongoing theme of this uh, of this whole enterprise. I want my games stupid. Stupid games good. Smart games uh, bad. Not necessarily, but stupid games also good. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, please, please, uh, developers, uh, uh, contemplate the the beauty of the of the PS One era of Bakugan with things like Cabal Screen and Screaming Mad George Psycho. Pinball, I forget what this, that game's fucking called. <laughs> it's, it's named after a special effects artist. Truly really incredible. 
uh, Screaming Mad George. Um, Sounds like it should be named after a 1970s random rock group. It's uh, it is the it is the working name of SFX artist Joji Tani. Uh, what is this game called? Uh, Screaming Mad George's Paranoia Escape, which is a first-person pinball game. Hmm. Sure. <laughs> Bring back the madcap madness of uh, dumb PS1 games. Uh, hmm. it, uh, Screaming Mad George has a has a very uh, has a long and uh, colorful history in special effects with things like Big Trouble in Little China and a couple of Nightmare on Elm Street uh, movies. And then just going, descending further and further into uh, the the like schlockiest of horror with multiple Silent Night, Deadly Nights. Uh, but yeah, uh, so, somehow there was a Screaming Mad George branded video game, Paranoia Escape, and like I said, it's basically a first-person demo game. Uh, I like I said, advocating for the dumbest of video games. Also, you know what, Falcon, make Brandish 5. Boom. And uh, bring the other Brandishes out in English, please. Yeah, we, we have fan translations. We have a, an official official translation of one, several official translations of one. Uh, and we have a couple fan translations of Brandish 2, The Planet Buster. And then uh, no fan translations of uh, Brandish 3 and Brandish 4. It's apparently a Diablo clone, so fuck that game. <laughs> Or but, conversely, uh, localize that one as well. No, it's it's not considered a good one either. Yeah. Also known as VT Brandish. I forget what VT is supposed to stand for in that. Uh, God. Okay, what is the what does VT and VT Brandish stand for? I need to figure this out. This matters to me now for some reason. Uh, Brandish VT Fata Morgana Tempium. Uh, then eventually, when that version did not sell well, uh, they <laughs> when they ported it to Windows, they renamed it Brandish Four. <laughs> it's kind of a sad like attempt to make that happen. Yikes. Apparently, it was not originally a Brandish game. Uh. Uh, okay, VT. Uh, VT is apparently a reference to Fata Morgana Templum, uh, Templum being treated as standing for Victim's Tower. Hey. Uh, yeah, but you, you, you Diablo your way up the tower. Sounds good to me. Yeah, it's, it's by all accounts. It's not great. Um, but make, make an actual Brandish 5. And it, if you want to make at the Diablo game, just don't just don't call it Brandish Five. Call it something else. Uh, but yeah, uh, okay, uh, that's that's probably enough, uh, <laughs> enough whining and uh, bringing up obscure games halfway half half just for the fun of bringing up obscure games. Uh, let me pull up a few questions from the big list. Uh, which I believe is will soon be entering its second year, mm -hmm. and it's nowhere near finished. 
Uh, let's see. Thank you once again to Fireminer for these. Uh, yeah, if we look like we are maybe a quarter of the way through these. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, okay. I was going to say, I, I've lost track of where we are on this. What's the last one that you guys have marked as answered? Uh, my last one marked as answered is number 87 is Waluigi a mistake. Okay, uh, let me actually open this thing up again. Let's see. Oops, one more thing. Okay, wrong thing. A fire. Where is this? Uh, we are currently staring down the barrel of question 88 out of approximately 346. Woohoo! Okay, um, let's see. Um, oh, come on, type. Fire miners, long ass Q and A list, take two. Okay. Um, well, it's been a while. I've I haven't highlighted anything on this since number forty nine. Okay. You yeah, said I've usually been keeping track of it. Yeah, we we just finished eighty seven. To hit a follow up question, is Mario Party a mistake? Because my definition of party does not involve sore thumb. Uh. I mean, well, you've not been to enough thumb wrestling parties, but uh, in general, I mean, people, people need to take Mario Party less seriously. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Some people have, get real, real upset at the idea that like the winner of Mario Party is often quite random, and it's just like it's just an excuse to play mini games. It's context for mini games. Yeah, I've really got the I've got the wrong list open. This is the uh, this is the second <laughs> list. No wonder I can't find anything. I guess I don't have a copy of the third list. I can I can send you a copy. I'll drop it in the Discord chat when okay. we're done. Which of you will okay. It'll have my mark. Yeah, up people anyway. tend to people tend to button mash way too hard. People people just get way too invested in the idea of winning Mario Party when like when you're arguing. When the argument is fundamentally the game is random and whoever wins it doesn't matter, it's it's just like yeah, then stop caring about who wins and just have fun playing mini games. The real winner is the friends we made along the way, or enemies, as the case may be, depending upon how angry you get while playing the game. But you know, it's it's, it's just an excuse to sort of hang out and shit talk people. Exactly. It's very good at that. <laughs> we should play some Mario Party eventually, Wills. We should. Uh, the Super Mario Party or the other one? Uh, I have the the one that I have is the one that was like a collection of like greatest hits boards from the N64 era. Yeah, that's the one I got. Okay, we can play that then eventually. Um, what game has the dumbest and most in, uh, inconsequential argument? I assume he is talking about in universe because he goes on to say, I can't recall the title, but I saw a translation of a Japanese Gojin game. The characters are arguing about uh, whether it was right to cut the crust from bread uh, and why Japanese people do it anyway. <laughs> I do think that that's not Japan exclusive, but that's that's an argument for the dojo game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's probably in the context of Japanese. Um, yeah, definitely. I remember hearing once about a game that, had, that gave a discussion on the difference between whiskey with an E and whiskey without an E. God. Cannot remember for the life of me what game this was. It may have been a visual novel. That sounds very much like something a visual novel would do. 
Um, uh, okay. Um, oh, I'm remembering randomly now. Um, Medarot's Navi. Mm-hmm. There, somebody used G instead of Za. Um, basically, Japanese English classes actually make a point of teaching students the two pronunciations of the. Mm-hmm. Though I can only remember one, literally one day of class in all of elementary and junior high school where the teacher mentioned that yes, sometimes people shift the pronunciations according to something or other, and nobody pays attention to it. Mm-hmm. In Japanese, they actually pay attention to it because they it gets written different phonetically in Japanese, and ah. actually worry about this, and they worry about saying it properly, and they don't realize that no native speaker ever even notices. Um, like, it does get used in English, but it's almost entirely reflexive, and it doesn't really matter. It's mostly grammar. With, sh- with the schwa's in English, it actually ends up merging into the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I remember one character telling another character that they had gotten it wrong. <laughs> it's the kind of it's the kind of distinction distinction you could only bring yourself to care about if it was if it was something you had been forced to study. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is this is actually a dark horse from a non-Japanese game uh, that uses this as a joke, but uh, there is an ongoing debate throughout the entirety of Saints Row Four about whether something is a robot or power armor, and that's a that's a pretty good joke that manages to find its way through, like weaved throughout the entire game. Mm. See. Oh. And vaguely, I've got vague memories of random, just really stupid stuff. I can't put a finger on most of it at this point. Yeah. Um. This is not the end. This isn't really an argument, but it does remind me of the extremely good scene that was added to Persona 4 Golden, where I, I'm very curious what he's fucking up the pronunciation on. In Japanese, I think Legend of Localization might have done an article about it, but in English, it's it's the character Kanji uh, fucking up the pronunciation of subtle and saying subbuttle. <laughs> and everyone just mocking him for it. Let me see if I can find uh, if there was a... If there was a rep, if there was a legend of localization that talked about this, okay, yeah, uh, they, uh, <coughs> Clyde Madeline did in fact do an article about this. Uh, the Japanese version, Kanji intends to use the word uh, dekashi, tact or subtlety, uh, sensitivity or uh, delicacy. Oh wow, this is actually a very close translation because he, instead of saying Dekashi, he says Dekashi. Uh, Dekashiri. Dekashiri. Which just hmm. means huge ass. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, yeah, that was actually a pretty good attempt at translating this joke. Yeah, that, that worked out pretty well, actually. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he. he but yeah, that, that was. One of those ones. It's not really an argument, but it is like the same thing where it's just like characters, like just dunking on each other. So. Uh, 
apparently... Yeah, but it, it's a good... Uh... Yeah, it, that, was a, that was a good translation. Uh, the localizer's parts on that one. Yeah, uh, it, it's hard to, like, it's one of those things that, like, it, it could be hard to find uh, serious games that have this, because usually when you, it, argument is not used that often for characterization in a lot of games. It's usually used uh, as a plot device, as opposed to, like, these two always have this, uh, like, the, this group of people always have has this same argument. Oh, there is... <laughs> this is one of my favorites, actually, uh, because it runs through an entire series. And I'm not, I've am i never been sure. I, I assume that it's in the Japanese version, but it's definitely in all the English versions. Which is uh, characters in Ace Attorney games having arguments about whether something's a ladder or a stepladder. Okay. There is... I believe in all of them, there is at least one like step ladder or ladder you can find in the background and your characters will have a debate about the distinction between the two things. Hmm. And it's, it's completely inconsequential. It never means what's that? Somebody just had a favorite running joke. Yeah, and it's it's completely inconsequential. It has uh there's never a point where this distinction ever matters. It's never more than a background detail. But the the characters who make an argument one way or the other will always be consistent. They will always have the same arguments, and they will, and it will never matter. So that that one go that one goes in as as one of one of the the all time great stupid arguments, just because it's it's nonsense. It doesn't it, it's the sort of thing that like you would just do if you were wasting time, and it's just like. Like, someone decides to... One person calls it one thing, and the other person says, I would have called it something else, and then they get into a pointless argument for a few minutes. And then no, and nothing is resolved, and they do it again the next time they see it. Uh, yeah. Uh, you, you, you can see this a lot more in, like, adventure games, where the game has you interacting with background objects, because it's just... You need a lot of dialogue to respond to objects that are not necessarily story important. I'm for you, uh, yeah, the, there's my champion, the the eternal stepladder debate in Ace Attorney. Uh, we got any more of these? Uh, any more? Uh, Any more uh, of these we want to bring up, or should we move on? Move on. Okay. Uh, is it just me, or should games take food poisoning more seriously? Uh, I mean, I can't imagine what kind of parasite would live in the monsters you slay in Monster Hunter. Then again, besides the Sims, no one probably wants to see their characters getting diarrhea. Uh, I can think of a few games where food can go bad. And that, that can make you sick. Um, um, a couple games that you, as you level up, you get an iron stomach feat, so you can eat more stuff. <laughs> but, um, randomly, Grandia. Mm -hmm. Um, first time you have a meal with 
uh, Fina, and everyone is like, oh man, this has way too many hot peppers. Oh yeah, 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 they do do that, because Grandia has a lot of stuff where it's just like, characters just sort of discuss things over dinner, and the food will come up. <laughs> hmm. Most of the time they're fairly happy with it, but sometimes you, sometimes you get something that's not to a character's taste. Of course, that one time where they all have, they all take the magic seeds that let them. Or that, that one's let them so speak good. The, like all the which, animations that play there. That game was excellent for its sprite work. <laughs> yeah, there's some sprites that play that show up there that I don't think ever show up anywhere else. Just when they're running around, like completely, like flabbergasted at how bad that nut tastes. Uh, there are several very specific scenes in that game where they had to have bespoke sprites doing some of the stuff, because it's okay. I think my favorite one, they, they didn't have to draw a new portrait for this, but they did have to work out a way to make the portraits do this. Uh, but my favorite one is the one where Justin and Fina are getting catapulted into the volcano, and Justin <laughs> is upside down, so his character portrait is also upside down. Uh... I'm thinking of several different scenes with the, um, what's the place way to say this? Uh, the, um, okay, that's it. Bitch Sisters and Ray Earth. Um, oh, yeah, the, yeah, the, the evil, the evil Ray Earth soldiers. Yeah, the sergeants, they are. Any scene with, that where they're, the main focus is going to be interesting. One way or another. It'll, it'll be funny, it'll be memorable. Yeah. Uh, one one thing I was going to bring up this this game does not simulate food poisoning, but it does simulate this the the uh, the, uh, the idea of your food getting worse over time, uh, which was uh, one of my favorites of Square's weird PS one games, Brave Fencer Musashi. That uh, you could buy food, uh, you could buy pharmaceuticals, which would sit in your they would work like any healing item in a game. They would sit in your inventory and they wouldn't. They wouldn't really have a chance to spoil or your bed. Uh, um, or you could buy food. Huh? Oh, sorry. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah. Or, or you could buy food, which tended to be cheaper, but it would go bad. It, it would go very bad eventually. Um, like, every, like every food had like a shelf life sitting in your inventory and a life cycle of what it would do over time. Uh so you get things like an orange that would eventually go moldy and be renamed Sporange. Uh, you had the you had milk that would eventually it would sour, but I think under certain circumstances it would actually eventually turn into yogurt. Uh, and when it, when it was yogurt, or it, it, I don't think it was milk that turned into yogurt. There was something that would turn into yogurt over time, where it would actually kind of get better than where it started. <laughs> But bread, bread goes stale uh, and becomes near useless. Like, all these, when you eat them, uh, they'll go stale. I think the spoiled orange will eventually poison you if you eat it. So, you'd, you'd have a lot of... It, it's just a fun system. Like, it, it never really mattered. Like, money was not enough of a premium in that game for it to matter. Uh, but it, it was fun that they did it. It was fun that you would get things that would just eventually rot in your inventory. What I was going to mention a moment ago is some of the uh, mid-period Gust games. 
mm -hmm. um, specifically Violet and Judy, yeah. had an aging panic for the items. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, just for a couple of them, but several of the food items could go bad if mm -hmm. you just left them around long enough. And some things like cheeses and wines, you actually had to wait for them to get better before you could sell them for a decent price. Yeah, I was thinking like certain things should get better with age, and Adelaide yeah. is the kind of game that would. Uh, and there was this one super annoying item. It was the flower that would turn to just junk a very short period of time, and that period was actually shorter than the time it took to get out of the area you found it in. <laughs> So you were not able to actually harvest and use this item until fairly late in the game when you had means to just dump it straight back into your refrigerator. That's evil. <laughs> oh no! It was also a it was also a necessary item for the to make the thing that is the win requirement for the plot in Atelier Judy. <laughs> the MacGuffin you're theoretically trying to make. Granted, by the I mean. You find this item much, much earlier out in the field than anything else on the ingredient list. For the so there has for to be a trick to it. Wills, you got anything for this one? No. Speaking of The Sims, what games are the funniest to see characters die in the silliest way possible? Oh, God. Hmm. Usually it's a matter of scale and magnitude for, for games. I feel like the funniest death I've ever seen in a game was someone uh, escaping uh, the police by going off a cliff in a Grand Theft Auto game and seemingly being safe until a car, a cop car literally fell on top of them. <laughs> killing them instantly. But... Most of my favorite deaths were from the Quest for Glory series. Oh, those, most... have, those have some good ones. The Sierra, Sierra Adventure games tend to have really weird death conditions anyway. But my, my absolute favorite though, Quest for Glory 2 where it was actually possible to OD on your healing items. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, eating the magic mushrooms in the first game too many times was funny, but um, just popping too many health pills in one day in Quest for Glory 2 would result in a death screen. <laughs> my, personal favorite, my, my personal favorite was uh, Quest for Glory 3. Hmm. Or, wait, 3 or... F no, what, 4. Was it in Africa four. or Transylvania? Transylvania, that's 4. It's number 4. So, um, there's this door that, like, keeps warning you, don't mess with the door. And if you try and open, uh, and it, you try and open the door, it does actually kill you. But I think 4, because 4 was the first one that had voice acting. Had John um, Reese davies as the narrator. Yeah, and, and John Reese davies does an excellent job in that opening scene where he's describing this. I always remember this opening. Uh, you know, it's... You know, you're in this deep, dark cave. You don't know how you got here. You know none of this. And you have, like, three burning questions. Goes And, and it's like, no, wait. Four burning four questions. Four burning questions. 
Where did your luggage end up to this time? <laughs> yes. Who can say? I was just thinking of that one. Yes. That four burning questions. Just where did your luggage wind up this time? Uh, I'll fight them. Uh, There's just so many fun ways to die in that series. Yeah. There is. All the best features of, of visual novels and RPGs together. To remember, uh, <laughs> this actually ties back to the previous question. Uh, mm -hmm. Speaking of Sierra Adventure games, uh, I believe it's Leisure Suit Larry Two has a point <laughs> where you will you get stranded on a lifeboat after a boat sinks, and mm -hmm. there is this like really uh, off-putting, like off-seeming uh, container of spinach dip that you need to pick up if you want to get all the points in the game. But if Larry has it in his inventory, after enough time on the raft, he'll, uh, the lifeboat, he'll fucking try to eat it and get sick and die. So you have to actually dispose of it from your inventory before you get on the lifeboat, or else he will get stupid and try to eat it. Um, <laughs> so... There's not a specific death I, I enjoy, but I do remember dying a lot in King's Quest 2. There's mm. so many ways to do that. You can just make that yeah. game possible to finish by walking across a bridge too many times. So, um, but in, but when you died in King's, King's Quest 2, it would go... Do, 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 I heard that many, many times, and then of Same. course, all, and of course, all of the games have all, all three of them, whether it be King's Quest, Quest for Glory, or uh, Space Quest, had either puns or would insult you for dying. Hmm. Uh, something I was trying to think of. I'm just trying to remember which which bad pun was the King's Quest Two one. Was that Romancing the Throne? Yes. Good. Yeah, yeah. Two is Romancing the Throne. I think three is to air as human. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I, I didn't play a lot of King's Quest. I don't know why I remember these. Uh, um, I, I did not play a lot of them, but my mom and my sister played a lot of them, so... Yeah. I think four like, is I Perils think, of Rosella. I think seven was the Princeless Bride. Yeah, seven's Princeless Bride. Uh, I think six is Air Today, Gone Tomorrow. Uh, that might just be something in my brain. Uh, no, that sounds right. So five is the... Oh, five is the Absence Makes the Heart Go Yonder. Because, uh, like, his yeah. family's kidnapped, so he has to go search for them again. Yeah, yeah. And has oh, the weeping your... willow, which is uh, basically a female tree that's actually weeping all the time. Yeah, also fuck King's Quest V. Bullshit video game. But, uh... Oh, we were talking about food poisoning earlier. Space Quest Three. Oh, God. Where... 
if you ordered the spe the particular item off the menu at the not McDonald's, you would regret it later. Don't you get like the chestburster from Alien? That's number two. Uh, Space three. You know, if you just order this one item off the menu, if you exit the, the area back to your spaceship, it, you will immediately stumble back out, throw up, and then go back. <laughs> chestburster is if you let yourself get caught by the French kissing alien in the, the prison. Yeah, in the last yeah. Area. Well, in Quest for Glory 1, there was a bar tavern where you could order the dragon ale, which basically burned you alive from the inside out. Yeah, that one too, yeah. Really should have seen that one coming with a name like that. They kind of warn you. They do warn you! They actually warn you! Do you really want to drink this? Are you sure? Have you saved your game mm -hmm. before you drink this? What makes you sign a liability waiver? <laughs> I always find it interesting that Quest for Glory doesn't have... Quest for Glory's name ended up being changed from HeroQuest because of a trademark dispute, but it, like HeroQuest would have fit way more with their like general blank quest naming schema. Yep. Uh, and the first one was... It, it was Hero briefly HeroQuest until like the trademark dispute was brought up, and then it became Quest for Glory. Um... We'll talk about mechanics in Super Robot Wars can be hit or miss, but what about the maps? I feel like the quality of the maps hasn't been that great lately. I mean, maps in Super Robot Wars are mostly in the realm of passable. There's very little that... Uh, there are very few ones that get really creative with map design. Super, Super Robot Wars is not about maps. It's not about the story. It is about giant mecha strategy games where you just fit as many anime series you can think of together to try and make a cohesive enough plot to make it passable so you can just watch giant robots beat up each other. That's the whole purpose of Super Robot Wars. It is glorious. It's, it's My giant robot can beat up your giant robot. Yeah. It, it is It is also, like, for, for a certain stripe of mecha nerd, it is about the story because it's an excuse to have... Uh, fucking Koji Kabuto and Amado Ray inhabiting the same universe. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, it, like the, the mechanics only need to be so good in Super Robot Wars, and so like, it, it, and it, you run into the situation of like, if you're restricting where the robots can go, you're kind of putting, uh, you, you are going to create situations where people can't use their favorites, and one of the core like design ethos of Super Robot Wars is you should always be able to use your favorite robot. <laughs> That's why the games tend to be so easy. You need to make sure that like, no matter how shitty your favorite robot is, you can still finish the game with it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, many a battle where it's all Gundams all the time. Like Super to... Robot Wars Alpha series had like the some of the most giant catalog of uh, robots. Hey, there's there's a lot of I don't know what the actual largest series list is, but it was easier to make individual units in the Alpha series, and also a lot of licenses were relatively cheaper. And it was like the only time they could get giant robots that didn't sit still. It's like Alpha One and sixty four, and then. They just could never afford that license again. <laughs> uh, this is what happens when someone is allowed to uh, license essentially the entire works of an influential manga author for a song, and then the manga author dies and his estate suddenly wants more money. 
Giant Robot of the Day of the Earth stood still is a very interesting OVA. Alright, which one? Uh, Giant Robot of the Day of the Earth stood still. Okay. Which, uh, allegedly, uh, Yasuhiro Imagawa and his company were given, uh, got the license to Giant Robo, but that license, as it was given to them, essentially only contained Giant Robo, the kid who controls Giant Robo, and the or the name of the villain organization, Big Fire. Not even any of its constituent parts, just the name of the organization, Big Fire. And then, in order to fill that out, uh, he negotiated with Mitsuteru Yokoyama, who had created Giant Robo, but also like a bazillion other manga, and got the license to basically all of them. All of them, no matter what they were. And that produced... that. That's why Giant Robo the Day of the Earth still has uh, characters from the water margin running around in a futuristic uh, world where robots are fighting each other. You may better know the water margin as Suikoden. <laughs> like, yeah, I recognize that name. Yeah, I figured you did. It was This was for the audience. <laughs> well, man, uh, I did not. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like Giant Giant with the Day of the Earth Stood Still was a uh, distillation of everything that uh, Yasuhiro Imagawa, the director of that, of uh, Shin Mazinger, of G Gundam, everything he likes, which is mostly uh, big robots and people so profoundly skilled at martial arts that they can fight big robots. Uh Good, good OVA, gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. Uh, that was that was a situation where they were producing an episode's worth of animation a year, and they had uh, all the time and money in the world to do it uh, because essentially every project that Imagawa was taking at that time was being used to fund more episodes of Giant Robo. Uh, gorgeous seven episodes, though, good times. Um, let's see. I mean, anime from the 70s, 80s, and 90s were kind of like the Wild West era of anime. I'd say the 60s is much more the Wild West era. That's when the like they, they don't know how much money anything costs, and so Mushi Productions ends up uh, driving itself to bankruptcy just because uh, the only way that they can get airtime is by uh, cutting costs to the bone. Then with the 70s and 80s, you get much more a case of uh, people realizing what can be done within that infrastructure. And then by the 90s, oh no, the bubble popped, and now everything has to get cheaper again. <laughs> well, now the bubble really popped. Well, at least the U.S. bubble kind of popped like end of 2000. No, I mean I mean the Japanese economic bubble. Oh, okay, that bubble. Different bubbles. Yeah, yeah the yeah. big bubble, 89. Yeah, when the big Japanese economic bubble pops, anime gets a lot cheaper. Anime, like, the, the OVA market super contracts uh, in general. Like, the bubble market was very good to uh, for, for the kind of disposable income necessary to spend, like, $80 on 40 minutes, uh, 20 to 40 minutes of animation every three months. <laughs> that, uh, that, that, that market largely went away. Uh, and uh, in, in general, like, budgets on TV shows went down. Uh, a general push towards uh, like things with built-in merchandising opportunities outside the show itself. Merchandising. 
Yep. Long tail of knock-on effects from the destruction of the Japanese economic bubble in the, uh, at the end of the 80s. Um, okay, let's hit a couple more since they are uh, related. Speaking of turn-based strategy RPGs, which games have the map? What games have the maps that have frustrated you the most? Besides Fantasy Star Two, <laughs> we're talking about strategy RPGs. So we're talking about battle maps and strategy RPGs. Um, Metarod's Navi. The battle maps were just kind of pointless. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, they, they had. I mean, they had function, but at the same time, they did not map at all to any sort of reality reflected in the space station that you're supposed to be doing them in. Yeah, that could be and, irritating. Yeah, and um, it just it was kind of a disconnect between battles and the world that they were designed to fit in, where it was pretty obvious that they'd come up with the battle maps for something else. Mm-hmm. So, very, very similar to Tales of the World Summoner's lineage. <laughs> for, me, it's, uh, for me, it's Project X-Zone. Those ones are just Those are hilarious. Um, oh no, I, uh, they're fun games, but some of the, some uh, like the map. Uh, there was one map where I had to go like back and forth to climb the map, and that annoyed the crap out of me. Yeah, some of those maps in Cross Zone got way too big, which uh, tended to make them kind of a pain to navigate. was a level based off of uh, Ghost and Goblins that I'm thinking of. Ah, the one that was very obviously the first level of Ghosts and Goblins, done very accurately. No, it was the castle. Oh, never mind. I'm thinking of the one that was outside, um, later in the game, I guess. I, I don't... Everything's so out of order in that game, there's no way to know. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Dave? Any any SRPG maps that you hated? Uh, this is mostly because of the vintage at which time I played it, but that uh, that one fucking map in uh, FF Tactics that is uh, Ramza stuck on the other side of a uh, gate uh, while you're the rest of your party is like kind of waiting at the gate. What's that? In the Dark yeah. Knight. Yeah. The yeah, with Gafgarian. Uh, it's, it's one, one where those... we all tried, where we all tried every single technique we heard of on the internet to try and get Gafgarian to crystallize and get Ramza his a special class. Yep. Except that never happened to be true. Yep. They did give you the ability to get a similar class in War of the Lions, though. Yeah, that's uh, that that one's one of those things where it's like it's a good map, but as uh, I, I played it when I was like nine. So I was very pissed off at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would imagine so. That game is that game's very hard for a nine year old. <laughs> see. Um and Wheel doesn't anything? play strategy. Games. Games. What? Nope. <laughs> You're just trying to piss him off? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh I couldn't actually think of one. Not Destiny two at all yet. What? I have not dissed on Destiny two at all yet. It's true. <laughs> Wills is used to that from me, though, so he's built up a tolerance. Yeah. Uh, I can think of one from a recent game in Triangle Strategy. Oh, yeah, I need to pick that up. I have that sitting next yeah. to me. It's like, uh, this is a project I must undertake. I don't, <laughs> miss, 
I don't necessarily think it's a bad level, I just think it's kind of annoying where you have to run around and like disarm bombs. And <laughs> well it's and if any of them blow up, obviously you lose the battle, but there are certain points where new ones new enemies oh, I remember pop you complaining about this one. <laughs> and pop in and spawn and they will spawn more bombs, so you kind of have to do it by trial and error, and I don't necessarily love the way that, that map goes. Anyway, I haven't beaten I love it. trial, but I hate error. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, it's just, just you can't really plan ahead if you don't know what the hell's coming. You just kind of have to know where things yeah. will be so you can get someone there fast enough. Uh, yeah, Interesting just, idea. Flawed execution. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm not going to complain, complain too much because that game has tons of interesting maps that are very good, including some where, depending on how you win the map, will alter things later in the game. That's pretty cool. Like, uh, so this isn't totally, I will avoid why this is happening, but there is a map where you can choose to basically burn down a town to make a battle against very tough all the villagers are evacuated naturally but you okay. can essentially set up fire traps where you know you set off a bunch of what is that like pour oil or something and set off a fire but basically it burns down any parts of the town you burn down are like that like as the story continues Mm -hmm. and it has ramifications so uh, yeah that's not negative though that's really cool yeah the, the yeah, game is really uh, cool so yeah just mm -hmm. just that one battle that's not necessarily bad it's just I, I don't think Art. it's the best one in that game and it's the execution leaves a little bit to be desired okay so different game different annoyance um, some of the missions in Final Fantasy Tactics Advance 2 that were tied to local laws, <laughs> part because of the way the laws were um, were um, implemented in the game. So, yeah, they for example, kind of in Advance 2. Oh, so much! But like, there was one town where the steel command was legal, and so a bunch of thieves were in town trying, just having fun trying to break the law, and so you had to stop them before any of them could do anything. And just the way that the law worked if it was broken in that game, where, okay, first of all, it the law was broken for a zone. It affected the entire zone. It prevented people from being revived. Um, it canceled out team abilities, which, again, these two things only affect your side of the game. And in the specific case of this and other scenarios, it, it basically failed the quest immediately. Somebody else broke the law. Love it. All about this. And this, and this wasn't even the most annoying example because there was a random side quest um, where it was on a map where it was against the law to inflict status ailments and you had to wipe out a squad of Marlboros. Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> I never finished that particular one because it's not going to happen against Marlboros to avoid all status ailments. Well, you would just need to have a party full of ribbons. <laughs> yeah. 
And I never got that far in the game, far enough in the game to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. No. Obnoxious. Mm -hmm. I actually found a mod that turned it off, and that is how I beat it. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Uh, Probably not one of my proudest gaming moments, but I didn't care. <laughs> so necessary. That's it. One more question, also on the strategy RPG tip. Which, uh, any strategy RPG or strategy RPG, uh, having just a single flaw that completely doomed it. Like, anyone remember how the combat calculation Super Robot Wars D screwed up to the point where Super Robots were impossible to play? I mean, yeah, that's, that's one of those situations where just, like, an entire stat block... Uh, a, few, a few entire stat blocks are busted. Uh, but, uh, I mean, there, there's some obvious, like, haha ha 7 Saga jokes to get out of the way first. Because haha ha 7 Saga... Uh, I, I do uh, think it's fast. I, I do think it's fascinating uh, when ill-considered math just completely busts a game. <laughs> the, uh, One bad programming error can ruin the game. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, hey, listen, it's not my fault. It's QA's fault for not catching it. It's always QA's fault. Never the QA absolutely told you in your future. <laughs> Lies. It does happen. Show me the ticket. <laughs> I'm going to sit here and I'm going to find the ticket where your your response was not a bug will not fix. Uh, yeah, just one of those things. Uh, yeah, I, I can't think of a lot of games because, like, usually the kind of game where this happens is the kind of game that had a lot of other things. It's, it's very hard for something to be perfectly functional and good in all areas except one that is so busted it sinks the entire ship. Uh, the law system in Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. Tactics Advance 1, it works fine. Tactics Advance 1, it was great, because you could actually use it to your advantage. Like, it was a mechanic that could be used. Yeah, could but it's like, late game, people. when you're dealing with four different laws... By that point, you've got a lot of cards to get rid of them. Yeah, but yeah, you could you can affect the laws, you can walk around to out-time them, you can manage to set it up so that the other side is going to be breaking them. And most importantly, the other side faces consequences if the law is broken. Yeah, the side can absolutely get red carded in Tactics Advance. Yeah. Whereas Tactics Advance 2, like I was mentioning before, the only negatives to lawbreaking in that game are all on your side. They're things only the player can ever care about. Yeah. So, there is no negative for the enemy breaking a law. I can understand not liking the law system, but I don't think that... The, the other thing about... Tactics Advance is that, like, the game is built around the law system, both in terms of its plot and its gameplay. Like, without the law system, yeah. the, the actual strategy becomes significantly less complex. Yeah. But, uh, um, trying to think. I had a stage of... on Project X Zone completely freeze up on me once. 
<laughs> That's a little cheating. That's not supposed to be way. But I suppose a lot of these aren't technically supposed. Oh, other bad SRG maps. Every map except the shared ones in uh, Fire Emblem Fates Birthright. <laughs> okay. Have less of Sorry. Have I needed, needed a chance to dunk on that. I know, I know you did. I don't know why you did, but you needed to. Um, but yeah. Um, let's see. Combat. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else where, like, just any one mechanic sinks the entire ship. For me, in particular. It's like, yeah, I can understand. Like if F attacks events is just like not something's cup of tea based on the laws. It's the the entire game is very much built around them, so it's very much if you can't play if you can't accept that mechanic, you just kinda of can't play the game. Uh, I just I think that the you find the mod to remove it like I did. Well then then you run into the fact that like uh, I personally would argue the game is fundamentally just kind of much less interesting without something to force you to tiptoe around. So to each their own. Um... Well, at that point, I when I stopped playing it the first time, I was already up to three laws per battle. Mm. So, I mean, I got pretty far into the game following the rules. I just got sick of the system. So I, But I understood the importance of the plot and everything. So I think in my case, it's a little different than someone who's going in without the laws at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can understand it not being to somebody's liking. That's easy enough. It's yeah, um... objectively better than the sequels system. <laughs> Tactics A2 took a system that could work for someone, for some people, and made a system that worked for no one. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, nothing's immediately coming to mind of just, like, one claw that sinks the entire ship. It's like, usually there's other things wrong with it. Yeah. Maybe, like, maybe I'll, um, I'll try to keep something in mind. Yeah, uh, like, uh, Summoner's Lineage. Great battle system. As long as you weren't actually playing the campaign. Yeah. It's one of those Is things the, where it's, that's, like, the one good element in the stew. Yeah. <laughs> Because the, the battle system was based around summoning up level one um, guys on your side to go out and do battle, but the campaign mode was set up around the enemy already having level 10 plus enemies waiting for you. Mm -hmm. So, it just, it, um, and carryover between battles was a little hit and miss because most things died. I think my, my review of the game used the word Darwinian at least once. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I, I guess, again, the easiest thing to pull out here would be to just uh, have a laugh at Seventh Saga's expense because that was a case where the Japanese version they were worried was too easy. So they made some quick changes to the math to try to make it harder and produced a game that was basically impossible. <laughs> so, you know, good work. That's, that's what happens when you just sort of like try to tweak some numbers after the fact and don't have a lot of time to sit there and test it. <laughs> uh, let's see. 
think that's I think that's about all I can all the blood I can squeeze from the stone. I, I'll try to think of some more for next time we convene. Which uh, are we doing one next week, or are we taking? Or is this our last one of the year? Um, I'd be fine doing one next week. Fair enough. Fair and we enough. just keep it shorter as an end of the year thing. I mean, yeah. with it being sort of in the middle of the week instead of like where a holiday is like right up against your butt. Yeah, like we won't be doing a shenanigans this week. That's no. that's literally on Christmas. <laughs> mm. uh, uh, yeah, uh, so Gaijin, tell us about the author's birthday, Sam. Oh yeah, so might as well get this up here. So, starting January 9th and running for as long as I can arrange it through Amazon, we have the author's birthday sale with all episodes of Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yadimizu at either free or half price, depending on the episode. Definitely the first one, at least, free. Um, so please check it out. It's already a good price to begin with, um, but it's going to be an even better price for about one week. So yes, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, um, if you enjoy tabletop gaming, if you enjoy watching other people do tabletop gaming, and again, that is an entire subgenre of YouTube videos that is massively cluttering many a feed these days. Um, <laughs> if you don't mind looking at all this in either ebook or dead tree format, um, then we have a series for you. Hi. And heck, even so, if you don't know if you like that, I mean, there's no better time to chance to try than when it's free. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, so yes, yeah, so that is Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yadimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U, because, hey, Google hates my real name. Okay, so... <laughs> yeah. That's all. Uh, Thank you. Of course, of course. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's see. Um, and... Tam, what you got for us? What you got to plug? Uh, I, along with a number of people, st stream as part of uh, our Twitch channel for RP Gamer at twitch.tv slash RP Gamer. We usually have at least someone going, doing the stream uh, every single day of the week. Uh, we even have a couple of people who are still planning stuff for uh, Christmas. So come and check us out you can specifically catch me tuesdays and thursdays in the a.m um at 9 a.m mountain standard time 11 a.m eastern time sorry i have to think of it that way because i live in mountain time so um currently we're i'm just uh putzing through a few different games i plan to go back to um some of the games i started previously uh once the new year hits Uh, sorry, uh, but yeah, that's uh, you know, there's there's almost always something. You, unless you've got a lot of time, there's probably at least one streamer vod that you haven't had time to check on. It's always good stuff happening there. Playing stuff depending on who, who who's playing what. <laughs> what else? What you got for us? Uh, if you're listening to this on a podcast, you can always watch the recording live on twitch.tv slash askwheels. It's generally Wednesday nights around midnight Eastern time. Occasionally there's schedule change. Uh, usually I will post on social media or in the, well, in the Discord, most importantly, when there's a schedule change. Uh, and on Sunday nights, also midnight eastern we usually do sunday night shenanigans where we play multiplayer games 
um, which is of late has been lots of Pokemon and probably will continue to be for a bit because uh, that's been a lot of fun and honestly we've got a had a healthy number of people watching too so hooray um, and occasionally we do uh, adventures in platforming as always we're overdue for the next episode uh, but we are going to do Sonic We've at got some a point. Three and, time, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, Sonic at some point soon. We'll talk about Sonic Frontiers, which is very good. Uh, and you can ask us questions on the Discord or on social media platforms such as Mastodon, where I am at the not at all confusing location of mastodon.lol front slash at symbol askwheels. Oh my god, that mm. is horrible. Well, that many... Welcome to open source. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I also have a co-host where I will generally be posting random video game thoughts. And just for reference on Mastodon, if you go to search and just put an at askwheels, it comes up with you without anything oh, does any it? worries about Oh, sweet. Yeah, you can just search the first section. The uh, the second at is supposed to differentiate between people with the same um, first section, but there aren't enough people in Mastodon yet for that to be a problem. Perfect. You're anyway, free. following now. Okay. <laughs> oh, I just got a notification. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so everyone, for the record, with Mastodon, don't worry about the server at until we get more people on there. Yeah. yeah. Um. I'm also on, in addition to co-host, I'm also on Hive, though due to that being down for like a week due to security concerns, I'm currently using that only for random small communications and posting random GIFs with no context whatsoever. So basically the same experience as being in a Discord server. Yes. <laughs> uh, so yes, yeah. that's, that's the splintered social media existence of me right now. We'll see what sticks. Uh, whatever sticks, I will likely be on Mastodon permanently, because I like it there. Because I am a Linux nerd, so of course I would. Uh, currently, I, uh, the only active social media I'm maintaining at the moment is co-host. That's at Fanboy Master. Uh, follow it if you want to see uh, random shit post images of whatever I happen to be playing at the moment. Uh, recently, that was a uh, a that was an image of uh, Armored Core with the text uh, for a mission labeled Operation Destroy Gang Dark Soul. Uh, because you know what. Sometimes serendipity looks you in the eye, and you have to you have to take that chance. But uh, yeah, so co you can follow me on co-host. Uh, the join queues for that have become much less of a pain in the ass. So uh, it's, yes. it's it's a nice place so far. Yes. Uh, but that's the only one I'm actively maintaining any sort of public presence yeah. on. Um, yeah, uh, I highly recommend if people want to keep in touch with us, ask questions and stuff, to join the RP Camera Discord. Yeah, yeah, because that is going to be the best way as social media is, is undergoing a fracturing, I would call it. Eating its own head. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's going to get weird, I think. 
Yeah. And I'm all like always there, so Yeah. I'm always online, but I usually only respond to my name, so if you need me, go ahead and ask and at me. <laughs> Same, I'm not always at you need him. Yeah. If you don't think you need him, just say something and I will add him to just let him oh, know God. that he is needed for it. Oh god. No, I've done that a number of times to you. Now I sound like your shitty boss. <laughs> My boss, she's awesome. Uh, let's yes. see. Uh, yes, and yes, do not bother trying to... Do not bother trying to contact me on the bird site. I will not respond, and I will not accept any new follows. That account is dead. It is, it is an archive. Yes. Um, uh, his Twitter poll where he said I'll follow the results of this poll he is now looking for someone to take over Twitter yeah but the problem is it's going to be someone he thinks is a good idea so. also he yeah. says he's still going to run the software and server team so. oh that sounds basically, like a really bad yeah. idea because he has no expertise in either of those yeah, so basically little will change so yeah Okay. Uh, moving on uh, we are uh, but yeah uh, if you want to ask us questions like good friends Prawl and Fireminer. Uh, thank you to both of them for providing questions this week. You can ask them in the podcast section of that Discord if you don't know how to enter that Discord. Uh, if you already have a Discord account, just go to the Gamer website and go to the Community tab and you can do the Discord right there. Uh, the podcast section has feedback for all of your favorite RP Gamer podcasts. But if you if you put a question in there, we'll assume it's for us, unless you address it to someone who's not here. Uh, but yeah, uh, otherwise, uh, you can also ask us questions on the comments section under this very episode. Uh, we're always happy to hear them, and I'm sure that I can find an excuse to ramble about whatever else I was going to talk about, but vaguely uh, connected to whatever you were asking about. Uh, and then you know everyone else can be a little, a little, uh, a little have have a bit of difficulty getting word in advice. It'll be great. It'll be grand. Uh, but yeah, uh, we we always appreciate questions. So you know, uh, if you've got anything that you for whatever reason need our thoughts on, please feel free to put your put yourself out there. Otherwise, I think that wraps us up. So, see you, Space Cowboys. See you. See you.